This is Misinfo Weekly, a somewhat weekly program about misinformation in our time. Misinfo Weekly is made by the Unit for Data Science and Analytics at Arizona State University Library. Hello and welcome to the first introductory episode of what will be a multi-episode series where we explore vaccines and misinformation. Now, there's a lot of different topics out there when it comes to misinformation. Sean, why have we prioritized vaccines as a topic to think about? And why is understanding vaccine misinformation so important to the overall understanding of misinfo? We're focusing on vaccines because this has become one of the central features to ending the COVID-19 pandemic. It's in the news everywhere. It seems to be what most of our leaders have pointed as the primary way for us to get out of the pandemic and back to like sort of quote unquote normal life. Yeah. And while we don't, this is the introduction episode of a special feature. And so in podcast land, we're coming from a timeless space, but at the same time, you know, we are recording sometime in 2021 where the vaccine and conversations about the vaccine are everywhere. And as a result of this becoming this central feature and almost this obsession that we're talking about, it's, that also means it's ripe for mis and disinformation. And it's also this longstanding mis and disinformation campaign. So vaccines in general have been controversial for decades. And COVID-19 just happened to link onto that in this early stages and continues to do so. So basically, I see the you know, COVID-19 vaccines as utilizing this existing infrastructure, you know, the railroad tracks that have been there for a while. A lot of the anti-vaxxers just kind of the COVID train hopped on top of that and used that as a way to spread mis and disinformation around COVID and the vaccine and the pandemic. But let's 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 talk about so this entire series is meant to focalize vaccines as a productive area to think through misinformation. As part of this series, we'll have a number of guests with various expertise ranging from medical and veterinarians all the way to scholars at ASU that research this area over long periods of time. Yeah, our whole design here or hope that all of this falls together in the way that we're envisioning is that we don't go back to vaccines and misinformation as this hot button topic where people are shouting at one another back and forth about them being real or not real, but to really make this a more vibrant conversation where we can understand a lot of the different angles going on and to help you understand that vaccination is an intersection of lots of different themes and misinformation, lots of different techniques and misinformation. And it has been important, but is especially important this year in 2021. And so with that in mind, we want to preview not necessarily the subject of each conversation in this series, but we want to paint a picture about some of the themes that you can expect to encounter in a lot of these different conversations. And I think another thing that we're trying to do is bring in not just researchers, as we've done in the past, we're also bringing in practitioners and how they're directly addressing or what are the challenges that they face in directly addressing mis- and disinformation when they work with their constituents or their clients. Yeah, I think by far one of the most interesting things that happens when researchers encounter practitioners is that they often have very different perspectives and they don't 100% line up in how they see the problems every single time. So I think it's fascinating to see how there's general alignment sometimes, 
but we can't expect researchers to see the same thing as practitioners and vice versa. And I think that's really spelled out in a lot of the conversations that we've had. And the timescales are also quite different. So often researchers are like, hold on, let me get back to you in a year or so. Let me publish a paper that'll take about six months versus a veterinarian or a primary care physician. They're sitting in their office directly across often from a client or a patient, and they have to give them an answer now or address their concerns or sometimes what to the, I would imagine to the the, the doctor is like, whoa, wait, this makes no sense. Like, why would you believe that? Like, how do they address that in that moment? Yes. I think how we encounter misinformation is on a time scale that's very different. I think that's a great point to always keep in mind is that we have a relatively comfortable position to understand misinformation as opposed to practitioners. So let's roll out our framework for thinking through some of these conversations. And so we have kind of four main things that we want to highlight at the top level for folks who are previewing this series and are listening to this particular pre-episode right now. And our, we have a great acronym because all, all influential thought can be broken down to acronyms. I think that's misinformation. Did I just say some misinformation? Well, anyway, our, our acronym is NERF. N-E-R-F. I feel like we just stepped into Sesame Street territory. <laughs> yeah. This episode is brought to you by the letters <laughs> N, E, R, and F. We're trying, we're trying to get the ABCs of anti-vaccination ideology. Okay, N. That's nature. N stands for nature. See, now because of your comment, I'm just imagining like the block letter N, like children's blocks. Or like PB's Playhouse, like you said nature and then like all the furniture screams. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know that. Well, okay. So nature and the reason we want to call attention to nature (laughs) is in conversations about vaccines and vaccination and in conspiracy theories and misinformation around medicine, we have observed that nature is oftentimes treated as almost like a light source or a source of good energy rather than a dynamic, complex system of interconnected organisms and life forms. So the idea being that oftentimes the idea that you are far away from nature or that you're interfering with nature is one of the foundational assumptions of trying to think through why vaccines are bad. Or that it's not natural, right? Yes, that it's not natural, right? So you're either further away from nature or you're antagonistic to nature. But either way, the closer you are to nature, it will fill you with a kind of healing energy or at least to dispel or help you avoid some of the harmful, unnatural things going on with vaccines, right? Vaccines are overwrought. They are tampering with something that ought not be tampered with. So that's the end of our nerve acronym to try to think about the role of how different vaccine misinformation sources tend to mobilize the idea of nature in order to convince people that vaccines are detrimental to their health. And we first saw this in one of our favorite films, uh, the Plandemic film. Well, your with, favorite film is Jurassic Park 2, right? For now, yes. For all, anytime I'm talking to you, it is. But, okay. but our favorite misinformation film that we've discussed at length, right, is this Plandemic and Dr. Judy Makovitz. No, Malkovitz. Mikovitz, yeah. Plandemic one. You're referring to Plandemic one. So in the first pandemic, talks about nature and how like masks and vaccines, right, separate us from nature. But, you know, 
being out in the ocean and the sand provides the sort of healing. What's the word? Vibes like healing. There's like a there's I think the the best way to describe it is there's just healing vibes out there. There's no like specific biological mechanism that's invoked in these kinds of arguments. But yeah, it's it's left to be a little ambiguous. And that ambiguity is really productive, I think, for for anti-vaccination misinformation. I agree. I just am trying to, you know, was trying to find a word that respects. There's some folks that believe some of this, but the way that it was weaponized in the pandemic films, I think, is different than those that might believe in more homeopathy. Right? There's there's a lot of daylight between those things. But yeah, she talks. Right. This did not just turn into a skeptics podcast. Yes. I, I take your point. Yeah. All right. But so she, she was talking about, you know, Bill Gates, microchips, and then like, boom, you know, all of these things, masks, everything separate us from nature, separate our feet from touching the sand. And so that means they're bad, um, as well as the way the vaccines were designed. She goes into this complicated discussion of that, right, which is inaccurate. Then that makes us more vulnerable. So but if we just stop doing those things and yield to nature, we'll be safe. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. These ideas predated the pandemic film. They're really amplified and mobilized effectively in the pan- pandemic film. And they will outlive the popularity of the pandemic film. These ideas about nature uh, that you just uh, outlined, I think, are going to be around for a while. Let's move on to E. And the E in our NERF acronym is expertise. Sean, talk a little bit about expertise and why that matters in our conversations about vaccines. So there's this question of who are the experts? You know, we watch the news, we watch press conferences. Who is the expert? Is it, are there doctors? Which type of doctor is the expert? And then what's our relationship to those? So do we believe them? Do we, do we trust the government and trust the CDC? So therefore, do we trust that expertise? Or anytime they say anything, are we like, oh, the opposite must be true because I don't trust those organizations. So expertise, expertise plays a huge role in what we believe, what we don't believe. And because of who we trust. Yeah, expertise is so tricky because expertise can be, you can symbolize expertise without being an expert. And that's really tricky, right? So we've seen examples of people being interviewed and they're wearing scrubs, but they're not actually experts in the thing they're speaking about. They're just wearing scrubs. So you assume they're an expert. But then the other tricky thing is you do need a base level of expertise in order to understand who the experts are. And that a lot of things that can be confusing is not knowing exactly who is authoritative on a particular subject. So how a disease spreads could be distinct from someone who does, you know, more molecular work, right? So someone who's doing a lot of clinical and has a lot of clinical experience is going to have a different perspective and may not be the same expert as someone who does more kind of molecular biology or does kind of virology. Even though both of them go by doctor, both of them might be dressed the same when they're interviewed on cable news, but they have very different experiences and they have different corners of the same general field of expertise, if we want to call that like the expertise area of of medicine. Right. I mean, both of us are doctors, but not those kind of doctors, but also some of this fatigue and some of this distrust can then lead to not believing anyone. And you're just like, what I need to do is look at the information myself because I have this great BS detector, so therefore I'll figure out the truth. But if you don't have the expertise to start through this, you could come to potentially harmful conclusions. 
yeah, if you know a little bit, then you've got this overconfidence that makes you feel like the expert. And then that puts you in conflict with the folks who could potentially help you or leaves you susceptible to people who want to mislead you. Definitely, yes. So the, the next one. R. So R is for role. What do we mean by role, Michael? By role, we're meaning to make sure that people pay attention to how this information is useful to the people who are reading it and spreading it around and representing it as true. This is of a piece of what you were talking about before, Sean, that people who believe that vaccines are harmful, we shouldn't assume bad things about them. We shouldn't assume that they live in like the opposite moral universe as anyone else. We want to really think through how that information is useful, even though it might be deceptive. So let's say maybe potentially an example for the utility of misinformation. If you are, say, afraid, then you might find a piece of misinformation that gives you a surety and therefore assuages your fear. Or if you believe that nature, in the sense we just discussed, is the best way that misinformation about vaccine or you know, its utility is that it confirms your belief in nature and then allows you to reject what you believe is unsafe. Yeah, I think that's a great example. And to, to work with your example, it's a lot simpler and you have to negotiate a lot fewer institutions to say, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I'm going to stay home until it's safe. For some people in some situations, it's more appealing to trust nature and to trust the people who boost those ideas that nature is actually the best way to go here or that it's not very, you know, another useful piece of information that isn't true is these COVID statistics that pass around on these different message boards that are anti-vax that talk about the survival rate of COVID-19 and how it's incredibly high. It's so high that the vaccine is actually more dangerous than the virus itself. That kind of idea makes it seem like doing nothing, not having an intervention at all, is actually the most effective treatment. That is a really useful idea to think that you don't have to worry about a vaccination, that everything should just go back to normal, that this isn't really a big deal, that there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. That's a really useful idea if you're in a situation where you're locked down, you're unsure. So we don't want to say that some of these ideas aren't appealing if they were actually true. And so when we call attention to the role of misinformation, we really do want to see how that how that particular piece of information may provide some kind of service for somebody. And I think this stands in contrast to the sort of trope of, well, only sort of stupid, uneducated people believe mis and disinformation. And I think we disagree with that because instead it's not stupidity or lack of education. It's more of utility. Like misinformation is often useful for a plethora of reasons rather than I'm just dumb. So that's why I believe that. Yeah. I think conversations about misinformation become far more productive. If instead of thinking of people who pass on misinformation as being infected or poisoned or whatever other metaphors people use to talk about misinformation, if you think about that person having some kind of use for it and having some kind of role in their life that if you understood it, we might have a better understanding of misinformation and be far less polarizing. And I think in future conversations that we'll have, that allows us to talk about interventions in a different way, rather than pounding someone over the head with facts or education or other tools, we can kind of think more widely about 
well, how do we meet the need that the misinformation was serving instead of how do we beat you into submission? 100%. Well, that leaves us with our final letter for our system, and that's F, which stands for fear. So fear can open up gaps that then misinformation can fill those in to make us feel more comfortable. So sometimes I think of mis- disinformation like that like warm, fuzzy blanket that we can kind of wrap around ourselves to protect us from the outside world and be less afraid. Those outside ideas. Yep. Yeah. And I think fear gets used as almost like a boogeyman in the sense that, you know, and we see this a lot in the vaccine misinformation, which is you're only getting a vaccine because you're a prisoner of fear, that someone is using fear to control you. So when you're, when you're thinking through fear and vaccines and misinformation around vaccines, there's fear plays a, a dual role. One is fear is the enemy. But then the other one is fear is your friend. So it could be these untrustworthy institutions are using fear to manipulate you and force you to do something to your body that you should never do. On the other hand, you know, if we look through, as we have, right, just this afternoon, looking through Telegram and Facebook and how people are talking about the COVID-19 vaccines, they are very much designed to make people afraid of the vaccine. The Telegram channel that one of them that has, you know, something like 30,000 followers on it that I was looking through just now, one of the most common ways or anecdotes is just to list somebody who died after getting the vaccine. And there's this idea that there's a period where you might be fine and then you'll just collapse and die. That format, right, tells like a horror story. And so mobilizing fear to sow distrust in the vaccines and the vaccination process that's another way that fear kicks into this situation. And we can also use fear in the policy space. So we see fear being used as, well, if we don't open up, then business are, businesses will close, livelihoods will be lost, right? And then on the other side, if we do open up, we'll have massive casualties. And the truth is, both that's really complicated. There are impacts of opening up. There are impacts of staying closed. We don't agree on how to mitigate that. So then fear just kind of circulates and basically we end up in this space where everyone just afraid that their lives are ruined. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Oh, and that rounds out our four four part framework. Our nursing through some of these, th- yeah, th- just these different themes that we want to call attention to of nature, of how expertise is working, what role that misinformation plays, and then fear. What. What is going on with fear in each and how is it operating in each of these different conversations that we're going to be having? Right. So we can think of these like flashing signs. It's like misinformation. You're welcome here. You know, and with respect to science, we've seen science become this very controversial topic. Not that science has not been controversial in the past, but this is one of the first times I think that science is front and central in every discussion that we've had. We've talked about this before with dashboards with uh, press releases, with news articles referencing journal articles, preprints. This is different than the -the run-of-the-mill reporting that we normally see on scientific articles that, well, coffee causes cancer, coffee prevents cancer, you should drink wine, you know, and that's just a misunderstanding of scientific studies and other kinds of things. This has become, you know, what do we do when we have a novel virus, which means we've never seen it before, so we don't know a lot about the virus. And then over time, as our understanding increases, that means the suggestions from science is here's the best practice in this moment. That's going to change. 
And if we don't understand how science works, then that itself becomes a point of contention. Yeah. And I think that that gets to this idea that I think it's important to underscore right now. Science is vulnerable to misinformation because there are plenty of contradictions in science. In fact, science is designed to be controversial in the sense that people can arrive at different results and then have a conversation about it. The idea that, say, in a global pandemic, you may think one thing about the virus early on and then think a different thing about that virus later on, that is an indication that some kind of process motivated by empirical uh, motivated by empirical study is actually changing our perspective. From the perspective of a scientist, that means the system is working. But from the perspective of you know trying to look for opportunities for misinformation, you can look at those two things as contradictions. That rather than existing in a series, as in I did one thing, I learned my lesson, I'm doing another thing, you think about them like much more ahistorically, and you just think, well, one person said this, and then they said this, therefore they have no credibility. Right, and so we can go through thinking about our Nerf process now, right? Our Nerf framework. We can see how that connects to to science, right? If we have science saying, hold on, we need to do some research. Well, I don't know what to do right now, so I'm going to go back to nature. That seems like it makes sense. And then, then we have the role of expertise, right? So experts are saying different things. Because you know what happens in science is people have great ideas, then we test them out. And then that kind of process iterates. Some people were wrong, some people were right, new ideas emerge. But if that's not a process that you're used to, and you're in the middle of a pandemic, that kind of sucks. Yeah, it's not a trivial amount of effort to understand how the entire system of bio, creating biomedical knowledge in our country or worldwide, how that system works. So there is usefulness here in any misinformation that is going to encourage people to not even bother or to oversimplify this system. Um, Because it's not a system that, you know, people have widely documented as providing care and well-being very equally to people all the time. And so having a mistrust in that system already, you know, it's very easy to piggyback healthcare in this country, right, is this Byzantine system of providers and insurance companies and you know all the other kind of science and medicine and drugs that people are likely to encounter as a patient being a patient can be a very complicated thing there's a lot of value in any story that simplifies the matter so there's our r and then we have our f for fear so this environment of with all these unknowns where your family members might be sick might be passing away your business might be economically impacted you might have lost your job especially if you're in an industry that requires a lot of face-to-face contact, this is ripe for fear. So then we go back to how can some of this misinformation provide assurance at this moment in time, assuage our fears, help us choose experts, other things. So then it kind of loops back on itself. So wrapping up, we are trying through this series of conversations to make this debate more complex so that we see it less as a for and against vaccines, the people who are educated in science versus the people who are not. We want to make this a much more complex situation for listeners to be able to understand that misinformation, what it does, how it works, isn't so straightforward all the time. And the COVID vaccination and just anti-vaxxers in general is a really great way to illustrate this because of all of the nuances, the complexities. It's not as simple black and white. And you'll see 
or here, I guess you'll, we should say, you'll hear when we talk to some of our guests that vaccination, not vaccination, it's not a yes or no. It's, it's actually a, hmm, well, maybe, or maybe at different times. So this concludes our preview to this multi-part series on vaccinations. We hope you enjoy. Be thoughtful and be well. For questions or comments, use the email address datascience at asu.edu. And to check out more about what we're doing, try library.asu.edu slash data.